This is Bonjour Chai, the Quarren Seder Part 2 edition. I'm Avi Feingold in Montreal, and I'm here with Melissa Lansman in Toronto, who is eagerly awaiting for the writ to drop. And representing the West of Canada is Alana Zakon in Vancouver. We are your frozen chosen. <laughs> Melissa, how's it going? Good. It's, uh, are, it's a pretty good day. It's the day after. Do you want me to tell you why? T- yes. Tell me. Tell us what's going on. So yesterday, uh, the good people of uh, Thornhill, the Conservative Riding uh, Association, uh, that's all the members of the Conservative Party in, uh, in, uh, in Thornhill, the majority of them chose me to be the next candidate uh, for the upcoming federal election because our MP there, after 12 years, uh, is taking a well-deserved uh, retirement, and that's Peter Kent. Excellent. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty excited. Amazing. That's that could happen any time at this point. It could happen uh, any time, and I think that uh, that we are uh, ready. And I am uh, humbled to have the trust of everyone there. <laughs> For those of you who are uh, curious about that, that means that. Uh, if and uh, when Melissa becomes our uh, nominee, uh, our M- MP for Thornhill, uh, she will probably be transitioning out of the show. Um, but she is here with us as long as she is still a private citizen. Um, we're looking forward to many more conversations as much as we can. Um, Alana, are you running for office in anything? I should now, now that you've publicly outed me. <laughs> I feel have, pressured. <laughs> have you ever run for anything? Did you Were you like class president? Um, I don't were even you... think we had class president at my tiny Jewish private school. Did we? I don't know. I, and actually, I guess we had like a student council. No, I, I wasn't on it. I did the, I was on the yearbook you committee. Were... Does that count? Oh. Editor. 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 Like, I was one that's of a good start. Real editors, power. Yeah. Real power. So you were the one, like, like if Melissa was there in, like, senior year, most likely to be nominated for, you know, MP of, like, Thornhill, you know, writing. Yeah, that, there you that. go. You'd be writing those or you'd be, like, figuring out. Yeah, what, I'd, be, I'd uh, be writing those. I'd be probably do. nagging her for her photo to put into the yearbook. See, so you went. Atlanta in- would have all the uh, all the goods. I gotta go back into my uh, yearbook mm. photos and pull out anything <laughs> embarrassing. You you went into theater because you're so undemocratic and you're looking for like a total meritocracy, right? Exactly. Atlanta? Exactly. Spot on. Excellent. Well, um, before we get to the news of the week, let's hear from our first sponsor, Atelier Lou. Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Atelier Lou Bijouterie in Westmount, Quebec. Atelier Lou specializes in custom designed jewelry as well as many lines, including Anzi, Deacon and Francis, Dana Bronfman, and many, many more. If you're looking to upgrade that engagement ring or pop the question, come talk to Eric and design the ring of your dreams. Atelier Lou is offering a promo code for all Bonjour High listeners. Use BON18, that's BON18 at checkout for 10% off your order. Excellent. So, Last week, the Council of Hasidic Jews of Quebec filed a motion to delay curfew for their communities to allow them to finish evening services and get home after the clocks change. Their request was rejected, and while the issue is partially moot because uh, the curfew has been pushed back to 9.30 p.m., I still think it's worth discussing here. Alana, what sorts of things should we be willing to make religious exemptions for in a pandemic? I have a lot of feelings on this topic, especially I'm from Montreal originally, for all of you out there who don't know that. And so I've been kind of watching Quebec from a distance from Vancouver. And for me, I think, you know, I think our health is the most important, number one. And and I think it comes down to just non-discrimination because what I've been noticing, to get a little political up here, is that it seems like there's been a lot of talk around exemptions for the majority population in Quebec. 
and a lot less for the minorities. For example, we had all of our high holidays during COVID, and I didn't see any talk in you know, government policy in Quebec to, to allow for Jews to congregate during those holidays. But then Christmas came up and suddenly they talked about maybe changing the rules when Quebec was at its high of COVID cases. And I just couldn't believe it. It really enraged me. And I saw a lot of people talking about it online, um, not just Jewish people, but a lot of other minority groups and majority groups who were like, this is just unfair. So, you know, I think you know, health and safety first, but also if we're going to change the rules, it shouldn't just be to one group of people. It should be for anyone celebrating any holiday. But, you know, then it comes down to, is it really a good idea? Questionable. I, I don't know. What What are your thoughts on it? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say it. We've got to decide in this country uh, whether we deem uh, religion an essential service. And it is. It's not, it's not a choice. It's not going to the restaurant. It's not going to buy a sweater at the Gap. It's something that you have to do. So the accommodation should absolutely be uh, uh, made. And I think that, you know, frankly, this far into the pandemic, uh, as much as we uh, we know about it, we all know how to social distance. It's become part of our lexicon. We can all wear a mask. We can all wash our hands. Um, but at some point, you know, congregations, uh, you know, in the case of uh, uh, of the one that I, I grew up in, you know, it, it's it fits 600 people. Like we can figure out how to put 10 people in there any time of day when they need to be there. Right. It's not that complicated. Right. I guess it almost feels like we're prioritizing, you know, gyms are open now in Quebec from what I hear. And it's like, oh, you can go to the gym, but you can't have like a minion. Hmm. Look, so it's not just Jewish. To be fair, it's not just a Jewish issue. Yeah, right? There are totally, churches that are sure. complaining about this. There are churches yeah. in BC that are openly flaunting uh, gathering regulations uh, and meeting. Uh, I've seen protests on Sundays in Montreal in all sorts of places um, by churches saying we want to be able to meet. Um, right. So, you know, what I'm worried about, and I, I'm very well aware of slippery slope arguments, uh, but I'm a, I, I have a hard time trying to ask myself, where is the government going to get the ability to adjudicate religious issues? Right. If they're mm -hmm. are, are we going to go because they're being put in a position where other Jews are saying I can pray at home, especially for evening services. Um, and 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 they're saying, no, we need to meet for every single service every single time. Uh, and at some point, the government shouldn't be in a position to say this is allowed and this is not allowed. This is an appropriate use of religion and this is an inappropriate use right. of religion, uh, you know, because then we're going to get into this is an acceptable headscarf and this is not an acceptable headscarf. Yeah, or exactly. this is a, a, an acceptable reason for a man not to give his wife a get or not an acceptable reason for a man to, to give his wife a get. And I don't want the government to get in that position. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think it's actually I know that you guys, um, you know, look at this at, from a from a Quebec perspective uh, and all of the conversations around that. But it, it really comes down to whether the government, uh, you know, believes religion as a choice right. or not. And it's uh, and, and frankly, it looks like, you know, governments are are, are treating religion uh, like getting a haircut uh, or again, going to get that sweater. It is not. It is essential. It is part of, uh, you know, a daily routine. And rather than lazy policymaking of blanket restrictions, we got to figure out how to make this work because we seem to make, uh, you know, spin class work. Yeah. I mean, well, spin, mm -hmm. spin class is religion for a lot of people. And so is so is the gym. <laughs> That's actually <laughs> well, very I mean, true. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's important. But uh, 
but I don't I don't ever want to live uh, in a country where government uh, is uh, it, it allows government frankly to make pariahs out of uh, religious leaders uh, and make them look uh, as if they can't uh, you know accommodate uh, their congregations or their congregates or their followers uh, to the COVID restrictions. The truth is, is the COVID restrictions don't make sense on this. Sure. So are there places where we think that the government should be restricting, um, you know, religious freedom in some way? Because right? it's the much bigger no. question. Forget about the pandemic, right? Yeah, are there yeah. places where mm-hmm. the government does have a right to say something about religious freedom or about religious u- practice? I don't think so. I don't think that's any of their business because that that... Yeah. Well, my viewpoint is uh, is is no, not at all. And in fact, I I, I actually think there's a you know there's a a, a pretty big attack. Uh, frankly, on uh, on religious freedoms over uh, over the last number of years, where government uh, seems to be filling the space uh, on purpose, uh, where they limit uh, religious leaders to do so, and, and we've got to be very very vigilant about that. If if a Hasid decides to marry off his fourteen year old daughter, should we should we let the government step in on that? I think there's look there's laws of uh, laws of the land. Uh, and I think that there is a responsibility for the government to, uh, uh, in that case, keep uh, children safe. Uh, but from a, you know, from the perspective of uh, uh, of of putting on uh, restrictions or limiting the ability of religious uh, institutions to uh, to practice, you know, fully in scope and taking over some of those, uh, that's where we have to. So, be if the government deems that everybody should be home for a very valid reason at eight p.m. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's assume that the curfew laws are valid and useful. Right. Right. Does that mean that they will then have the right well, to impinge? Uh, <laughs> assuming, assuming that they. So uh, assuming you can't catch COVID at eight, but you can catch it at nine. No, it's about parties. It's I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. not. I'm not. I may disagree with the actual. You're right with the eight p.m. But assuming let's let's go for assume that this is a, an acceptable thing to say. Mm-hmm. You cannot meet after eight. Right. And that goes for everybody. No exceptions. I don't care if your services end at 930. Right. You cannot meet. You cannot be outdoors after eight. Mm-hmm. Assuming that's the case, then if it's a blanket restriction on everybody and we actually agree that it's a good idea, then you can't carve out a religious exemption. Is that what you're saying, Melissa? It is not. It's not. It's not a blank. It'll never be a blanket. No, 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 uh, no. Restriction. I, hold on. I'm taking you step by step here. Assuming it was a good uh, it's a good statement. Right. Or assuming we say you should not meet meeting 500 people in a row at a time. Right. That's a good one. Right. We, we, yeah, we know that large... people is fine. So, like, so, so if, if the synagogue goes and says, listen, we need 500 people for this service to happen, we need a religious exemption. Do we say, no, you can't? I, I don't think that there is. Uh, uh, I don't think there is a need to have, uh, you know, five, 500 people at. Any if there service, was, but there, if there was, if there was a valid. If, 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 so, if but a, now if you're Hasidic making parameters around. No, what, if a, uh, what a, if a Hasidic group went and said, we need 500 people to run this service and it's happening once this year and we need this right now. Would, and they were asking for an exemption. Would you say, sorry, you can't get this exemption? Uh, I, I don't I don't know. I would work with the religious community to figure out how to make that as safe as possible. But in terms of deciding for that community that 500 people is not what uh, you need, that's where the government gets in trouble. I'm going to I'm going to jump in here. <laughs> um, I was gonna, I feel kind of differently about this topic, just mostly about COVID safety. And I think it's making me think back to the beginning of the pandemic and in the Jewish community, how many people were breaking the rules to go to bar mitzvahs or the people who like went to party in Florida and came back and gave everyone COVID, which is why, you know, in the Jewish community, the numbers went so high in Montreal, um, from my understanding. 
I just don't think we should be sacrificing our health. And I think that's also a very Jewish concept too. Like in the Torah, it talks so much about like health being like the number one thing. And you can break any halacha, any law in the Torah if it's like a health issue, you know? So I think that to me falls under that category. That's your personal opinion, right? And there are many people. Yeah, so there, but there are many opinion. people that say, no, yeah. it's more important for me to be at this grouping or at this gathering or at this bar mitzvah or at this service. Right. Right. And yeah, but I think there's ways around it. Like even the uh, I remember seeing articles about the Hasidic uh, community in Montreal davening on their porches mm -hmm. in the Mile End. You know, people found ways. So there, there are ways. It's the same as any other restriction that we have to figure out. In I think COVID, we're, right? we're mostly in agreement here. And I think that the, the, the disagreement that I'm trying to point out here, Melissa, is that it's about the silliness of the regulation and not the government. For sure. Um, striking something down and saying you don't deserve the special exemption out of religious cases, right? It's if, if we actually mm. believed that what these restrictions were doing were important, were helping, we're helping. then we would yeah, all yeah. be saying, sorry, you can't meet for Minion, right? Because, because as you pointed out right there, yeah. Alana, the first month where we didn't know anything and we didn't know what was going on and all synagogues had to close for every reason whatsoever, right? Everybody just sat on their balconies or stood on their balconies and had Minion like that and they figured it out and yeah. they just made it work. Right. Because every, we just didn't know. And we thought that that was the most important thing. And that was it. The, the end result is, is that it's an indictment of our local governments who are putting in rules that we that often seem arbitrary and pointless. Right. They're actually not arbitrary. They're lazy. Uh, it's lazy blanket sure. policy. Right. Where it's uh, you know, we're we're talking about a curfew like a year into this. Are we are we joking? Well, to be fair, it was right at the peak of something hitting really hard in Quebec. This was December. So we're like, we didn't know what was going on. We thought that the only way we're going to restrict people to gather was to, to, to lock everybody in their homes at 8 p.m. And in the winter, when you can't get out at 8 p.m., you can't meet outdoors right. and you can't meet indoors because you can't get out. And, you know, I, I actually think that the curfew for a while worked in the sense that it, it forced people to not gather in major ways because people aren't gathering during the daytime. They're gathering at night. Um, and that happened. But I, I'm not an expert. I, the one thing I'm going to say, and, 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 and we should you know, move on to our next topic, is ultimately, we all think that we're infectious disease specialists. We're not. Right. And these rules are coming from somewhere. We just don't understand them. We think that they're arbitrary. And that's why we are pushing against them. It's a lack of transparency. Right. Uh, at the federal level, Melissa, there is a lack right. of transparency. Uh, I, I, like, I couldn't agree more. We'll push the government on that because uh, I think we're living in a dictatorship. And I think and I think at the local level, sometimes having that transparency and they're trying, they're trying hard, but but it's really hard to make everybody into an under, like an understanding population to understand what the expertise is going on and how it's, how it's going on. So I think, you know, that's that. Let's move on to our next topic. Jews around the world are about to go into our second Passover with restrictions on gathering and on, you know, whatever, what we just spoke about. While many countries have allowed vaccinated individuals to gather in small groups, uh, that's still not something which we as Canadian Jews uh, are able to deal with. So as we head into our second quarantine Passover season, I thought we'd take a time to like reflect on how Passover went last year with us, uh, what our plans are for this year, how we might use the pandemic to create moments that will last for future seders. I, I want to know, I want to know your view on uh, on the Zoom on the Zoom Seder thing, Avi. As a as an individual, as an Orthodox rabbi, as That's what? That's right. As an Orthodox <laughs> rabbi, um, I think that 
uh, last year they came out with, uh, there were Orthodox rabbis that came out with a statement that if you had put the Zoom on beforehand right. and left it on for the three days, um, you you couldn't use the Zoom in that way and leave it as a, you know, just a thing that's there and happening. And I think that's useful for a lot of people. I had people that asked me, uh, they were uncomfortable with that. What, the, what should they do? Um, they were living alone. And I said, look, if you're uncomfortable with it, you shouldn't do it because it's going to make yeah. your Seder feel weird. Totally. That being said, um, I did tell a lot of people that if you are alone and you are feeling like it's a three-day holiday and you're going to be sad and depressed and it's it's a mental health issue, you should absolutely pick up the phone and call somebody. Forget about leaving the Zoom on. You should pick up the phone and call somebody on a holiday. I told, I put it out as a public post on Facebook. I said, right. reach out to me, find my number. I will give it to you in a private message. Call me on the holiday. I will pick up the phone and I will answer if you tell me that you want to call right. and talk to me on the hug. Right. So there are re- there are ways to use Zoom and there are ways not to. I personally didn't use Zoom for the three day holiday last year. Uh, I don't. Th- I'm not going to say that it's wrong to use it. I'm going to say that if you feel uncomfortable doing it, that is your wrong piece for you. Does that make yeah, sense? Totally. So in the sense that makes I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm not going to tell anybody what to do. That's not my role as a as a rabbi. <clears throat> or at least in my flavor of being a rabbi, um, I'm not going to tell somebody. I'm going to say, if you want to use Zoom, you should have some something to rely on if you feel uncomfortable and say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an observant Jew, if, whether I'm conservative or orthodox or whatever it is. Um, how do I do this? Go yeah. talk to a rabbi, figure out the ways to make it work. But... You know, I think there are, there are ways around it if you don't want to do it, and there are, things, there are ways to do it if you do. Yeah, I think it kind of goes. That... Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to what I was bringing up before with our last topic, because to me, mental health falls under the same category as general health, and so I think if people are getting really, really lonely and depressed, that should be treated with just as much, you know, health priority as people who need to break Passover because they have a health issue and they can't just eat matzah for you know the whole thing. In in my cool. view, yeah. Did either of you use Zoom last I, year? We, I did. We totally I did. did. I feel like it was a practice round. Um, so <laughs> I spent the good first part of the pandemic. All of those who are like older in my family, who you know, who are who just all of a sudden got good at Zoom. I was talking to people's chins for like six months, and I feel like <laughs> now it's it's going to be an elaborate. You know, everybody's got their cool background. They figured out how to light themselves with uh, with any kind of uh, ring lights. The the problem with uh, with my family is that everybody likes to talk at the same time, and that doesn't work on zoom so we had about a 22 minute seder and we were done oh wow i did the whole shebang we do the whole thing so it was like the full seder on zoom um it was really interesting and it was kind of nice because at the time um i I was living with my partner at the time and so it was kind of nice to feel like it wasn't just like a two-person seder because passover is my favorite holiday and for me a big part of it is just being with a large group of people so it was kind of nice to have like a few extra faces on the screen and I kind of set it up in a way where it, we could see the whole table on our side and we can see their table. So it looked like we were all at the same table. It was very interesting. And something that really helped is in Vancouver, um, the local Chabad in my community had these Passover boxes. I don't know if, if you had that in Toronto or Montreal. So it was like a buy donation Passover box where you can pick up like everything you need for the Seder, like the Seder plate, your meal. It came with a bunch of Haggadahs. It was really nice. So... For me at the time when it was like early COVID and I was freaking out and not really knowing what to do and I was like stockpiling, I didn't really know how I was going to put together my first Seder because it was my first time being away from my family. So I didn't have to worry about that, which was really nice. Did did any of you have an experience like that? I, I got to tell you, I'm in my uh, I'm in my late 30s and I had that dropped off on uh, on my porch because there Amazing. was no way that I was going to be able to put that together by myself. So 
Thanks, mom. So I, I had another, you know, like my holy shit moment was like when I realized that every year, I mean, we host seders every year. I've cooked two seders for over 15 for almost 15 years now the past few years we have, we have the shul seder that, we, that my wife hosts or you know one 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 of the two nights so i didn't have to cook for that one so that's made it easier but i'm used to cooking two seders and hosting you know 10 right. to 15 to sometimes more people every time and i was like wait what are we gonna do <laughs> the downsize right it's just us and the kids and and so we had to like all of a sudden scramble to like Think about how we're going to keep our kids entertained because they're not often, they're supposed to be the focus, but they're not often the focus. Mm -hmm. And last year I felt like we sort of did it, but we didn't quite get it done. And so, you know, we're like, let's, that was sort of a practice round for this year where like now we know we, our kids are a little bit older and we're going to be alone again and we're going to have three kids and we're going to have to figure out how to keep them entertained and make this story meaningful for them. So in that sense, it was like a total shift for me because I didn't have to cook that much. I was like, oh, I just can put a roast chicken on the table and like be done with it. And like whatever it is, or I, I don't know, I don't remember what yeah. I made, but like I'm already planning my next week's <laughs> menus. But like that was that was the, the the moving forward was like, oh, you know what? We always talk about how the fact that the kids are supposed to be at the center mm-hmm. of this all. So I knew what I was doing with the Seder, but I, I realized that we didn't often think about just the kids. That's a really good point. And so so that's my thing going forward is even in Five years from now, when we have again 15, 20 people, I want to be really thoughtful about where uh, where the kids fit yeah. in, you know, as a real part, as opposed to say the manishtana. Right. And then everyone falls asleep. At least that's how it was in my family. By <laughs> right. like midway through the yeah. Seder, it was like me and my cousins on the carpet sleeping. <laughs> and that actually just made me think, oh, I feel so bad for kids during the pandemic. I don't know what it's been like for you with your kids but like I think about pivotal life moments for me and Passover was like the holiday I most looked forward to when I was a kid and I can't even imagine just doing it with like three people and like you know back then I wouldn't have used Zoom but if I was you know I feel like that would take away so much so that's great that you're realizing like how how are the ways that we can make it interesting for kids we still did all the things that we normally would have done and they get yeah, to yeah, like sure. do those things and just have us as the audience which was fun like we we have this thing when it comes to the hail like where some people like have the frogs at the 10 right. plagues and stuff like that and one year I I had this moment where I was at the, the grocery store doing the Passover shopping and I passed by the marshmallows and I was like, oh, I'm packing up like four bags of mini marshmallows. And and I didn't tell anybody. And I told my oldest kid who was like six at the time. So she was just old enough to sort of get what I was doing. Five minutes before, I brought her into the kitchen. And I opened up these bags. And I, my wife didn't know. The guests didn't know. They had no idea what was about to happen. <laughs> and we opened up the bags. And I said, when, it, when as soon as everybody says, Barad, and we get to the hail, you start throwing marshmallows in the air. And... <laughs> She lost it. She thought it was the coolest thing ever. And we do this every <laughs> year now. And awesome. when they're guests, but this year it was like, we all knew that it was coming, but it didn't make it any less fun that this was happening. And so like you, you do it and you roll with it. And it meant that like they could be up for the whole thing all of a sudden. Right. That's awesome. So, so you know, there's stuff like that. Are there downsides, we think, to like, to putting the technology into the Seder? I mean... Yes. You asked me point blank, know. and I'm going to say point blank back at you. Like, do you think that we're going to lose something by having basically every year now going forward, a lot of people are going to be on Zoom? Hopefully not. Hopefully not every year moving forward. I, I hope that we get to a point where, uh, you know, where families can get back together. What What's nice about it, and, uh, you know, it's not necessarily just for uh, for the Seder. I had the unfortunate uh, reality of having a funeral 
uh, during uh, COVID and the thing, the whole thing was put on um, Zoom and I thought it was so weird at the time. Um, but that was, you know, we've got family all over the world that tuned in. Right. So I, that's the nice I thing I have done it. I have done weddings and funerals on Zoom over the past year, um, meaning I've officiated. And mm. it's been interesting in the sense that like, yeah, especially in the early days when we can barely get 10 people, it meant that a lot more people. And I, I remember doing a funeral for... Uh, for the right honorable uh, Herbert Justice Herbert Marks, who was a provincial um, minister, uh, justice minister, and then became a judge, um, and he would have had easily between five hundred and a thousand people at his wedding, at his funeral, and he deserved it. And wow. uh, and we had ten people. We had him and his kids, and uh, that was it. And we thought that we would have a memorial service that would be honored, you know, at some point in the future or several months in the future. And we still haven't had a chance to really get a real memorial service going and that, that happens. So, so the good thing you're right is that people get to meet, uh, get to be attend, you know, from much further away. I'm going to a zoom wedding in Israel on Sunday that I would not have otherwise been able to go to, Mm -hmm. but like how many of our, like is Morty and Millie that are sitting in, in Scottsdale, right? Are they going to really think that, you know what, we usually come back every year in time for Passover, but like, let's, let's wait a bit. We'll come back a little later. We'll do something else. And like, there are going to be people that are going to rely on the zoom now to not gather that don't have as strong a tie. I hope not. That would make me very sad. I hope that doesn't happen permanently. Or it engages people that uh, that don't have the ability to go sit around a seder table, and we make this thing even uh, sure. even bigger. Sure. And we reach more people. Sure. So how? So what's your what's your suggestion? Rather than just we're going to have a zoom next to the seder plate every year, what? How are we? How should we like make this creative? What? How do we move this into something that is actually useful and beautiful instead of just saying this is a way for everybody to meet? Well, look, I, I think that we'll be in uh, some form of restrictions. I got a, I got a, a pretty big. I'm talking five years from now, eight years from now. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we go seder hopping, like just zoom into other people's uh, seder oh, and see how it's cool. done? Like I want to see Avi's marshmallows. <laughs> like I want to be there for that moment. I heard about some people seder hopping because of it was their first Zoom. Passover experience. A lot of my friends said they attended like six seders last year. I actually had a weird experience where a friend of mine from Toronto, who's actually in Israel right now, um, messages me like 20 minutes before Yom Tov is about to start in Montreal. Like Passover is about to start. My like we're everything's done. We're taking care of everything. And all of a sudden she messaged me. You know, we have this like like globe spanning Seder that's been lasting seven hours now, right? It's about like one in the morning right now in Israel. We've been doing this for hours. I know it's not yet Chag for you, but I thought it might be cool for you to (laughs) hop on because you're technically can get on. And I was like, I didn't feel super comfortable with it. Plus I was busy and I was like running around, but I Mm -hmm. thought that was like interesting. Okay. Yeah, you can you can do this. Um, but I, I, I'm just worried. Like, I'm, I'm sorry for being the naysayer. I'm worried about losing the value of having the 15, 20 people sitting around yeah, the table in I person. And we have to, like, create something that will safeguard that from, like, you should only be able to attend Zoom if you're uh, uh, to a Seder. The halacha is that if you're if you're more than 500 miles away from the Zoom, the Seder that you're Zooming into. Right. Otherwise, you should be able kilometers. Sorry, we're in Canada. Right. You should be able to like travel. Right. Or you should only like we should come up with a set of rules that you should only be able to zoom into your family seder if you're able to like hit these qualifications. Otherwise, make the effort and like go to zoom. Go to go to go to go to the seder. Don't don't zoom. No, no, Melissa. You're... Fair, fair enough. 
uh, or or qualify it like a like a return of service, like one for one. You got to go to a real seder if you want to go to a Zoom seder. Oh, so you have two <laughs> nights, so two I'm nights, and you might not have gone to two seders. So one night you can go to a Zoom seder if you have to go for the second night to a real seder. Okay, got it. Go, Alana. Mm. I was just saying that now I'm picturing like, I don't know, 200 years from now, there's some kind of like rabbinical book written. It was like, when this pandemic happened, oh, sure. these are the new rules. And it's, I don't know, to me, like the word Zoom, like written in like Hebrew text, just is the funniest thing to me in my Masechet, head right now. Masechet Zoom, right? <laughs> and it's like, Rabbi Avi says that <laughs> well, you you must be 500 kilometers away from the Zoom to be able to. And then no, but Rabbi Melissa says, because you're going to become a rabbi one day, you know, Rabbi Melissa says, no, 300 kilometers, right? And Rabbi Alana says, you can be next door to a Seder, but you're allowed to Zoom into a Seder if that's a Seder of people you don't like. <laughs> <laughs> we should add it, add it to the, the Haggadah this year. Right. Like, so, you know, that's I'm okay with that. I think that we should. But but I think that there should be some qualifications on that, because I think otherwise there's a danger to to losing everything. Right. There there are already synagogues that are saying, you know, that the the zoo model is so enticing that they're not going to go away from it and that they'll have a hybrid service and they'll have a hybrid service all the time. Right. right. Not that they're not going to meet in person, but even when they meet in person, they're going to have like a live stream going of the service on Shabbat. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's going to be good for a lot of people. And I think it's not necessarily going to be good for some people. I don't know. It's, it's I don't know. What if it engages more people? What if all of a sudden they double their numbers? Is that not a good thing? Sure. So I'll ask you then, what are the things that we should be worried about? Like, where do you think that there should be some sort of safeguards? Or you think that it's, I mean, I know you, you pray at a very liberal congregation, you're a liberal individual, but where, how do we make that, you know, go back and forth? How do we create that space to say, these are the limits, right? If we live within constraints, what are the constraints that we should think about? Let's yeah, say look, I think it's some version. I think you're right. Uh, I don't think you can take it all away. It uh, it certainly loses, uh, you know, meaning and and connection. But there there's some things that are nice about a hybrid model. There's some things that are uh, you know are nice about zooming into somewhere you know you can't be or you can't make and still having that a part of, uh, you know, a, a part of your, your identity and a part of the thing that you're doing. And it's probably going to engage more people, not less. I'm pretty zoomed out myself, if I can be honest. I'm having a really hard time attending Zoom events after like doing it so much for the first few months of COVID. I've just been avoiding them as much as possible. And I'd way rather just be with the people I live with. Um, I think this is just a much larger issue. I don't even know if this is specifically related to our Jewish holidays, but just in general, how the pandemic is going to affect our ability to connect and want to be congregating once this is done. And to me, that that scares me, I guess, more. It's like the younger generation. How is that going to affect their seders as opposed to our generation who's already experienced most, you know, most of our lives doing it the other way? So I personally feel very hungry for the more the bigger seder with people. I don't want to be doing it on Zoom, but we just don't have a choice. You know, I mean, you do have a choice, but if I wanted to be with my family, last year that was the only option that i had or i was going to do like a two-person seder which would make me really sad mm-hmm. and that's just coming if you felt if you would have felt different if you were living alone oh yeah oh yeah if, if i was living alone i think i would 100 percent um tune into a zoom seder and this is coming you know this is my own just where i'm at with my jewish practice right now in my life i definitely wouldn't have done this 10 years ago and i think i totally agree with what you said before avi it's it's your personal comfort level and if you're an observant religious jew then like you do not need to do a zoom seder in my opinion yeah um i think that if you if you're craving the family what i see what i saw a lot of people do which i thought was very interesting was to have a pre 
holiday Zoom with oh, everybody, everybody on nice there idea. for like the, the hour leading up to like like Passover actually starting. Right. That's and nice. everybody logged off and then did their Haggadah on their own and wherever they were and that was it. So you had the feeling and then mm. you're not violating anything and then you go away and you do that. And there's something about that. Like I like the fact that the there's this big cultural Seder that happens in New York called the Downtown Seder. And uh, we were going to create something similar to that in Montreal last year called the Seder Lab, um, which was going to be artists and uh, thinkers each taking a piece of the Seder and really owning it in their own way. And they're doing it and they're doing it a live stream this year. And they don't do it on the Seder so that people that want to go to a Seder can still get a meaningful, fun, mm. deep sort of something. But they do two, three days before Passover. And then people can still go do their own thing. So you have to go to th- right. you have to go to three seders. No, so y- y- the third seder is not really like a third seder. It's just a cultural thing around Passover that's structured like a seder that feels like that. And I like that. Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna right. Melissa. I'm telling you right now, and you're gonna have to pledge this to me. Um, when you become an M- an MP, uh, I would like to see a seder on Parliament Hill. When I saw the Obamas do a seder uh, in the White House, which was again a week before. That was a meaningful expression of how Americanism and the exodus from Egypt can come together for Jewish Americans that were involved, you know, at the at that level. Um, I thought, wow, we should definitely be able to do something like that um, at the Canadian, you know, Canadian. Not to not to say that we're always just imitating what Americans were doing, but like. No, that's exactly what you're saying now. I I am, but I was like, it inspired me. I was like, how can we create a Canadian spin on that to say that we should have a, a Seder on Parliament Hill? There's enough Jews that are there. Yeah, I think that's that a cool there. idea. Okay. I think there is, uh, I think the, the, the prime ministers in past have uh, have hosted something at their place or leaders of the opposition, but like... I don't think I've heard, hill. I don't think I've heard of a, of a Seder at, at uh, 24 Sussex. Let's look into it. I've, uh, that is my, that is my now answer uh, as being, uh, a, you know, the official candidate for, uh, for 12 hours now. Avi, I'm going to look into that for you. Let's look into that. Let's look into that. Um, excellent. So... Yeah, I think that there should be some sort of, you know, we should have goalposts. We should have some sort of, you know, figuring out what that means for us and not losing sight, as you say, Alana, of the, you know, of what we have that we really enjoy. Yeah. Which I is think, the, the in-person gatherings and yeah. the beauty of that for the kids. And and not and, to get... And, our, and, our, and us. Yeah. Yeah. N- not to get too dark, but I think that for me, I remember last year thinking, you know, as a Jewish people, we've been through so much worse than this, you know, in, in the history of Jewish history. And we managed to keep the traditions alive up until this point. So clearly, like, it, it I think, I believe it will bounce back and we will find that community. You know, if, if we could endure everything that we have, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. So before we move on, what are the non-Zoom things that you remember from last year's Seder? And what are the things you're looking most forward to doing this Seder? Mm. I made charoset for the first time last year. That was a highlight. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. I've I've never had to, uh, like this kind of, it, it kind of puts you out into the world. I've never had to uh, cook a Seder. Um, I've always just gone, like Toronto has this thing where you just go to Bubby's or you just go to mom's house and then you get to do your own when you're like 65. Uh, so I've, uh, I've never done a full one. So that was, it was my first time. And, and you're doing it again next week? Uh, I haven't even looked forward to, to next week, but I mean, I have no other option. Otherwise, we're not eating. Message me. I will give you tips. I have made seders. I have helped people with their timetables <laughs> for the week to like get to a seder. 
we we will we will turn you. I want to I want to see it in the comments. We will on this, turn you uh, into a, a, a balabusta. Mm, perfect. And if you guys have anything to uh, to share, leave some comments. You guys can cook my uh, seder. I'll just I'll make what you write. I'll make it work. That would be a good workshop, Avi. You should you should do a workshop. I have done. I do like for the powder. Pre- Sorry, go. Wow. Yeah, I've I've done no, I've done uh, what I call seder boot camp, and it's I love both that. the I think I need to take that both the Haggadah part and the cooking and pre- prepping the three prep. days before to like get your everything in order to to deal with the seder. What about the in depth house cleaning? Do you include that? So so there, you don't have to. I mean, oh, the people that clean for a month before. And are like scrubbing the walls. I'm like, what? Did you have like chametz on your walls, right? That you had to worry about that? No. Clean your house. Make sure that there's no, you know, croissant left on your, you know, night table, and 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 you're good. And clean the kitchen properly. The cleaning the kitchen. There's a lot of guides. There's so many guides online now for how to yeah. clean your kitchen for Passover. Um, my favorite line came to me this morning. Somebody pointed out to me. They were like, if you clean it, you don't have to cover it, and if you cover it, you don't have to clean it. Makes hmm. sense to me. Right. So I think I've heard that before. Pick one or the other. I was like, oh, I like that. So it's a very succinct way of dealing with that. But uh, but definitely there, you know, everybody should be able to learn how to host a Seder. And uh, it's not that difficult. Um, so, yeah, I've done boot camps and I should be doing them again in the future. Uh, I did one last week that was more about kids and the Seder and stuff like that. I didn't get into the cooking part, but uh, it's not that hard. Let's let's get let's get cooking, people. I love it. Yeah. So uh, so that's what we're all looking forward to is uh, doing things, reminding ourselves, getting better for next for the, for next week. And for uh, for like I said, I think the challenge is to find the thing that you did for the past last year and this year and turn it into something that's you'll always remember. Right. Like always do it Definitely. that way so that you remember that we had two years of quarantine seders. That's about it. Now, uh, before we move on to our Nachas of the Weeks. Let's hear about our other sponsor this week, SecureAssure. SecureAssure is the leading dealer in TELUS by ADT Security in Canada. They will protect your home or business from coast to coast with rates as low as $27 a month for a complete security system with a camera. All installations are virtual. They send you an installation kit and they have technicians on the phone and online to guide you through the process at your convenience, regardless of time zone. Use promo code CHI to get a bonus offer at no extra charge. That, pr- that is promo code CHI when you contact them via their website at secureassure.ca. That's S-E-C-U-R-A-S-S-U-R-E dot C-A or email them directly at info at secureassure.ca and use CHI in the subject line. That's secureassure.ca and use promo code CHI for a very special offer. Melissa, what's your Nachas of the Week? So I saw, I finally am seeing um, some light at the end of the title. We started talking about uh, COVID and the vaccine rollout in this country has been really, really slow. Uh, but I read a story uh, and, you know, the 101-year-old uh, war veteran is finally getting uh, a jab. The Jewish war veteran who's at uh, Sunnybrook in, in Toronto. And that is, uh, you know, that's the that's the kind of story that uh, that you want to see. All of a sudden, you're giving people back uh, some freedom, so that's good. Awesome, Alana. What's your nachas of the week? My nachas is I just heard that Duolingo has added Yiddish. That's a new feature. I've personally never used Duolingo yet, but it feels like a good time to start. Sure. What about you? My nachas of the week. My nachas of the week goes all the way back to 1971 when. 
A few Montrealers named Elon Drescher, Norbert Hornstein, and Jay Lipa Roth wrote an article called A Montrealer Seder that was put out in a publication uh, by one of the Hillel publications, as, as the Hillel student publications. This is back in 1971. Um, it ended up being edited massively to be put into the uh, big book of Jewish humor. But if you are a Montrealer, it is one of the uh, greatest and funniest things uh, that I have ever heard. There are customs such as, you know, on the eve of the Seder, the men of the household attend shul just like everyone else. However, right after the Shema of Mariv, they leave the synagogue and silently say the rest of the prayer on their way home. At home, one member of the family keeps watch at the window, right? And when they walk in, um, when the shulgoers come into view and the mother blows a special whistle and all drop what they are doing, run to the door and line up in single file. As the men approach the house, their final strides become long and graceful. They walk without lifting their shoes and swing their arms vigorously. They enter the house one by one and consecutively shake the hands of all those who await them. The last man to enter is the father. After going down the line, he leads the Seder party around the table three times and is then warmly surrounded by the rest of the party and is vigorously slapped on the back. The mother blows the whistle again. The party cheers. A matzah is dropped and the Seder is underway. <laughs> Right. That's how that's how you start the Seder. And then, of course, there is a very, very famous custom from the Montrealer Seder where the uh, youngest child often goes upon finding the Afikomen. The child runs back to the table and whispers into his father's ear. The father then jumps to his feet, raises his hand skyward and simultaneously shouts, a goal, a goal. The rest of the males then rise with their arms raised and respond, hello, Habs, away, away. <laughs> And it goes on like this, and it's really um, it's it's a masterstroke of of, of comedy writing for uh, the uh, for the era of the '70s when That's uh, hilarious. les habitants were were actually winning Elijah cups. And uh, but I encourage everybody to read it. We'll put a link to it in the show notes uh, and uh, go check it out and create your own customs for your own seder. <laughs> now, before we go, let's hear what Bobby Golda has to say. There are lots of things going on in the news In all of Canada for all of the Jews You might need some help to digest the press Here's what Bobby Golda says Bonjour, hi! My name is Bobby Golda And today I'd like to talk to you about Jews going too far with their religious ways Practicing religion does not make you exempt from the laws of the country you live in so yes, the COVID safety rules apply to everyone, even the Jews. Please follow them. You're embarrassing Bubby. We are living in a pandemic, so there needs to be some adapting. That means following a curfew regardless of prayer times, and that means not having big Passover gatherings. Haredi Jews, things don't always have to be so black and white, like the way you dress. Can you be a shtickle flexible? Traditional Jews, can you go a little longer without crowding together around the Seder table? Maybe your tuchus doesn't need so much matzah anyway. I live in Montreal, and when I went out the other day to buy some bagels and borscht, I saw religious Jews all over the place schmushed together with no masks. What's the matter with you, Michiganers? You think your schmutz don't stink? I hate to break your matzah balls, but the hand of God will not pass over your germs. Not only are you being reckless with everyone's health, but you're also making an unfavorable spectacle of yourself, which gives others more ammunition to hate all Jews. Like we need more anti-Semitism. Jews are often stereotyped as people who think they're better than everyone else. Sometimes, even as a Jew, it's hard to deny this accusation. 
We are supposed to heal the world, not be a schlemiel in the world. Oh, I gotten you. You're giving me tsuris and making me feel like Maror. Who wants a bitter bubby? Here's what I'll be singing this year at my Seder table for one. The Jews want special treatment. The Jews want special treatment. Wear a mask. Stay at home. In your bubble. Stop fetching. If the Jews can walk 40 years in the desert, you can last a little bit longer with some restrictions in order to receive your freedom. Don't be like those impatient schmucks with the golden calf. It's temporary. Just suck it up like you would a good brisket. And that's what Bubby Golda says. That was controversial, Bubby. But you know, Bubbies are entitled to their own opinions, right? I think they're always right. That's what we say. Excellent. Thank you, Bubby Golda. And thank you all for listening to Bonjour Chai for Thursday, March 18th. Our producer is Michael Freeman. Technical production by Andre Goulet. What Bubby Golda says is a creation of Adina Katz. Our music is by SoCalled. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a comment and a rating on the platform of your choice and let us know what you think about our discussions on the CJN Lounge on Facebook. I'm Avi Feingold. I'm Melissa Lansman. And I'm Ilana Zakon.